Hey, welcome to the Zonan Canada podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Today on the program, we have who is unquestionably the most heavily requested guest uh, <laughs> uh, by far. Uh, she is best known as the former host of YTV's after-school blog, The Zone, from 2001 to 2007. Uh, and she was the voice of Sailor Mini Moon in the original Cloverway dub of Sailor Moon S and Sailor Moon Supers. Um, can, I, can, I, can I give a line there? Here's, this is my favorite. Go Pink for it. sugar heart attack! That's, that's classic. <laughs> Just in case you didn't already realize, it's uh, it's Sugarland Beard. <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Sugar. My pleasure. Absolute joy to be here with you. And I hope you're having a great start to the new year so far. I am. 2016 is going to be a really exciting year for me. I'm just so excited. There's so many projects coming up and just endless potential. So it's a wonderful time. Yeah, uh, re- recently we've seen you show up in some movies like Fifty Fifty and uh, For a Good Time Call, and uh, you were on Garfunkel and Oates recently. Uh, I was. Yeah. I had a great part on Garfunkel and Oates. I played Epiphany, who was a porn star, and it was absolutely so much fun. And it's a comedy. It's it's PG, so <laughs> you can imagine it was it was a wild time. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know about the states. I know that one's on Netflix up here in Canada right now. So I guess we'll just kind of jump into the questions here. I know you're you're in you're in LA doing acting right now, but maybe let's just sort of jump back to the start. Uh, sure. You started in radio, uh, correct? I did. Yes, I started in radio. I was on Kiss ninety two five in Toronto. Um, I did that for nearly two years, and it was an amazing time. It was it was when Kiss was a totally um, top forty station, and I was going as Sugar Baby back then, which was my original nickname from growing up and yeah it was a wonderful two years I got a lot of experience interviewing a bunch of great people and it was an incredible an incredible time how did you first get into radio um I first got into radio actually it was my first job in entertainment and I was working at Roots Canada at the time and I was at a company party, and there was one of the DJs was there. His name is Kwame, Kwamster Monster, um, who's doing fabulously well for himself right now, too. Definitely somebody to look into in the Canadian realm. He just directed an incredible documentary on the first black um, hockey players in Canada. It's wonderful. It's called um, Soul on Ice, and... So he's doing really well now, too. He did radio in Edmonton for a while. And um, I was at a Roots company party, and I got up on stage. I was 18 at the time and got up on stage and was, you know, talking to the whole crowd. It was a huge party. And he pulled me aside after, and he was like, oh, your voice is crazy. Like, <laughs> I would love to have you on my show. And so I went on his late-night hip-hop show, and I was doing Sugar Baby Kisses for about maybe a month before the program director of the station called me and, and asked if I would like to be on the morning show. And he, she quickly moved me to the Mad Dog and Billy morning show. And that's where things really started to kind of blow up. And um, I just quickly gained like a really great reputation and 
while I was doing that, I was asked to do a parody song. And so I wrote this parody song for an Eminem hit called The Real Slim Shady, but mm-hmm. I did The Real Sugar Baby, and that song blew up, which led to me opening for Destiny's Child at a huge Kiss 92 concert. The song was number one on the station for the summer. It was an incredible time, and that led to a lot of exposure, and that's actually what got um, the voice world n- noticing me, and it was a uh, agent in Toronto who... Uh, picked me up and she got me my first audition which was for Sailor Moon and then I of course booked it and and then I became Sailor Mini Moon so that all happened really quickly I think I was 19 when I first started doing that or 20 maybe and and that's where Rini came into my life it's really amazing that you have a career that started with your retail job I know. <laughs> I mean, how, how many people can actually say that? That's that. That's incredible. That's that's it, like the that is the story of envy for most millennials. I'm sure. <laughs> I know, and it, yeah. it was an incredible time because it was you know it was before um, social media and before all of that stuff. So my only exposure was in person, and and being discovered like that by Kwame was it, it truly is such a gift, and and it's what I can attribute my entire career to. So. Who knew? Working yeah, it was in Canada, and I would just—I got in the habit, and this is the advice that I give everyone: is to just sort of, no matter who you're talking to, share your dreams and share your hopes. And I did that, and and that's what it led to. Yeah, a lot of people get really nervous or anxious when you mention where you, when you talk about the idea of networking. But you know, when you step back and really think about all the opportunities you have in, in day-to-day life, then. Uh, just you know, just opening up that way can 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 go a long way. Okay, so so I'm in Vancouver and I I I haven't really had a as much of an opportunity to hear a lot of your radio stuff as some of the Toronto or Ontario based listeners might have. Did you have any any stories or key experiences uh, working just working on those shows at the radio station? Um, I mean, it seemed to me at the time I was so young. Every experience was a key, wonderful mm. experience. Um. But, I mean, I, I just became so exposed to, um, you know, music culture and, and the different artists that were at the top of the line then. And I quickly fell into and fell in love with interviewing. And I interviewed just some of the greats. Like, at the time, I interviewed Britney Spears and um, NSYNC and um, the list just goes on pink and it was incredible exposure and it was also the first time that I was exposed to what really working hard was all about because I not only was on the radio but I was also producing my own pieces and the morning show of course as you can imagine the hours are really early and I would show up at the station drove in from Scarborough at four in the morning and um you know, would work and and edit my pieces and then go on air between, I don't remember, I think it was like 7 to 10, and then during the day go out, collect interviews. In the evenings, I was hosting a club night uh, live to air at a club at the time, and I was working like, you know, 18-hour days, and it was so fulfilling and so challenging, and it really got my hard-working you know, my hardworking bones ready to go for what my career led to being, which is constant work and, and intense diligence into, you know, just 
just never stopping. And it, it, it was it was a wonderful training ground for everything that came. Yeah, you definitely got an amazing start with all the experience you must have picked up at that point. So from radio, you, you went directly to voice work or how much overlap was there between your time in radio and your time in, in television? Um, there was some overlap. I mean, it, as far as voice work goes, I was doing a lot of voice work before I moved into television. Um, so while I was on the radio, I was also doing um, a bunch of different voices. And then YTV approached me about taking over the zone. And um, I just couldn't resist. You know, I've, I've wanted to be an actor for a really long time. And it was such a unique and wonderful opportunity that I jumped at. And so while doing voices and doing the radio, I made the switch over and left the station to take over the zone. And all of my interview skills came in handy. And I also started to get into comedy. Uh, on the zone, I had um, so many opportunities and, and just so much freedom to come up with characters and, you know, be silly and, and write sketches and also interview just a million people um, for the show. So the crossover was perfect. It was just one thing led into the other like butter. It was just a perfect, um, a perfect transition. So, so you were also a credited producer on yes. The Zone as well as a host, if, I, if, I, if I'm correct there. You are, yeah. So the zone was, speaking of hard work, you know, it, it was hard, but the greatest work I can imagine. So not only was I hosting, I also had the freedom and responsibility of coming up with different ideas for the show and different characters. And, um, you know, it was, it was all encompassing. I got to, again, like think of what I wanted to show the kids and, and what I thought would be important to them and, and sort of drive the show to being what it was. And um, it was it was so unique. It was such a beautiful, unique experience. And I have Canada to thank for that. Yeah, it's definitely a unique Canadian kind of opportunity. Uh, and that definitely breeds a certain kind of, uh, of impact that I don't think you can really make in the States. Um, so you, you had a fair bit of creative input on the zone. Did, did it ever, did you ever have, was it ever tricky to sort of balance that with, you know, commercial interests or, or any of the other obligations that come with hosting a, a, a commercial kids block? No. No? <laughs> no. It was never tricky. It was, YTV was like, it, it felt like the most natural fit in the world. I, you know, love and understand kids culture. I always have. It's, you know, it's the best place to work because, it's the most innocent, fun realm to play around in. And it just, it truly was not challenging. It was fun and the creativity was kind of endless. And, you know, I had so many great co-hosts through the years, uh, Pat Kelly and then Carlos Bustamante. And, you know, with them by my side, we just, we just ran with it and ran with the freedom and I think came up with some really genius, wonderful, you know, timeless stuff. Yeah, and Carlos is still, I believe he's still hosting The Zone to this day, if I'm not mistaken. He sure is, yep, <laughs> yep, he's holding it down. <laughs> yeah. Yet he doesn't, have a, he doesn't have a page on Wikipedia, but you do. He doesn't? Which, he doesn't, I was checking that earlier. 
probably pro- probably something that needs to be corrected. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. He is such an interesting guy. They should have pages and pages on him. <laughs> I, I trust you still keep in contact with him and all your other uh, former coworkers at at YTV and Chorus. Oh yeah, I sure do. They're my family, and you know we are still supporting each other every step of the way, and. You know, he's very aware of what's happening in my career and, and always there as a wonderful cheerleader to keep me going. And, yeah, he's one of my best friends. I, I know when he was first introduced, there was this uh, what, a series of skits where he was a janitor or something. Yeah. 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 Was, was that you or <laughs> was that your idea? <laughs> uh, I think so. I think it was a collective idea of a fun way to sort of start him off and... Um, I think it'll, it's probably something he'll never live down, which was not what we anticipated, but, um, it's great. It's great. <laughs> Any particular stories or, uh, or memories that, that really, I know it's probably hard to think of something that really stands out at YTV, but is, is there anything that, that immediately comes to mind as something that, uh, oh, okay. do, you, do you have any funny stories basically? <laughs> Oh, man, there's so many. I mean, working with Car- Carlos, I'm trying to think of the name. We had this one skit. Actually, I'll talk about this one. We had one that we did. It was called Jock Shorts, and it was our sports segment that we came up with. And um, I played Johnny the Brick Wall, who was a retired football player who had had a lot of concussions in his day. And Carlos played a retired um, soccer player named Birdie with this crazy accent. And we would just, I mean, it's just one of a million hilarious and wonderful experiences there. But that that sports segment was definitely one of my highlights. Um, just playing like a jockey uh, football player with a weird wig on. And it was great. I hope that people remember it. It's definitely one of my favorites. I mean, but with Carlos, he's such a unique and wonderful talent. His talents just expand in all directions. And he was always so amazing at at musical stuff. And we put on a Thanksgiving musical one year um, that he almost single-handedly wrote. And it was phenomenal. Like, that, that, that definitely stands out in my mind. And I played, you know, a bunch of different characters, as did he and... We just came up with this huge Thanksgiving feast for all of our different characters in a musical style, and it was just, it was fantastic. And there was th- that whole Nuclear Donkey project as well. Yes, Nuclear Donkey was already established by the time that yeah, I came yeah. in, and um, Nuclear Donkey was great because we got to write music and they ended up on a mix cd big fun party mix and that was so cool to like sit down every year and work with producers and and come up with these songs and i think we had some real bangers over the years we had some some really good hits <laughs> so you had a really big impact on uh, on kids in the in the early 2000s uh what do you find it's like being a nostalgic icon because that, that's a really interesting kind of fame to have. It's almost like an investment on fame because it just kind of it keeps growing over time. How, like, how do you how, how do you what's that experience like? It's amazing. I mean, I still to this day and I hope to continue to get messages from my fans saying, you know, thank you for my childhood. That's always like <laughs> the, the best thing that I can hear. It's just it's so great. And 
I know that I'm a memory of theirs from when they were growing up and that I had a positive impact and that it's something that they'll carry with them for their lives. And I mean, what a gift to me. And um, I'm just ever so grateful. It, it doesn't feel like a responsibility at all because I know who I am and I'm a good person and, and so proud to be somebody that impacted who they might be today. And I hope that it was always for the positive and I'm sure that it was. And it's exciting now because as my career in film starts to build, it, it makes me so excited to know that, you know, when my films come out or any project that I do, that people can feel kind of like they really know me, you know, that they were invested from when they were kids. And, and now I feel like a friend of theirs that's, that's making it on the big screen. And, and it makes me feel like they are more involved in sort of a family way. Like it, I feel like everybody that knew me when they were growing up, hopefully they feel like um, they know me on a personal level because they did know me so closely when they were kids. And so I just hope that it translates that, you know, this is for all of us. And it's exciting because I feel like they will share in the excitement of anything that I gain and, and, and vice versa. You know, I also get letters from people telling me where their lives have led them since they were kids and, and watching the show. And I am just as proud as, of them as they are of me. And it makes me feel involved in their lives in a very different way than I think just, you know, um, you know, doing projects here and there, having a show where I was what you saw and enjoyed and were involved with every day after school at those formative years, I think that it's, it's just such a heavier and, and, and much more familial kind of um, connection. And, and that's such a gift. It's going to grow in a really interesting way, probably in a few years, because right, right now, a lot of the nostalgia focuses on the 90s now. And I guess the early 2000s are probably a few years off. But it's an interesting time because you were big at a time when like YouTube and you know, online video and and everyone getting get, getting connected was was the thing. So it's kind of interesting, but there's all this this '90s throwback that you see going on in social media and and everything now. And it's honestly, even as a '90s kid, I can say it's pretty obnoxious. But <laughs> it, it's it's kind of neat because you know there's this there's this whole notion that you know our our childhood has gone away and now we're trying to recover it. But with kids in the 2000s, it's like everything that they love probably wound up on YouTube while they were still kids. And right. in, in a way, it kind of never went away. So, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how that generation interprets its nostalgia and how that kind of grows in the future. I know. I, I always think that it's a blessing and it's a curse that the mm. stuff that I was putting out, it's not online. There's not a huge bankroll of, you know, my zone episodes or any of that stuff. So I really am in the banks of people's memories instead of, you know, the video clips on their computers. So I'm interested to see what comes out when um, people start, you know, looking into that, that um, nostalgic time again. I wonder what people will dig up and how if they're, you know, if it's VHS recordings or, or yeah. how they're going to source that old material. But I'm just happy to be in people's memories, you know, instead of 
maybe having all of the exposure and there's stuff I'm sure that I would be embarrassed seeing again. So maybe it's good that it wasn't in the height of the YouTube days. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if it were about six or seven years later, absolutely everything you did on television and radio would be thoroughly documented and exactly and, uh, permanently available to everyone. So yeah. uh, inter- interesting time for sure. I, and I know when uh, I, I interviewed Phil Guerrero a few months ago and we pointed out how in all these like, you know, do you remember these things from the 90s lists? It's always this same picture of him popping up all the time, giving this weird kind of gang sign thing in front of Snit. And like, and like always just that is the the social media image of of Phil was always that one picture popping up over and over again. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of funny how people will go back and they'll they'll cling on to whatever they can find and then just throw it everywhere like that. And, yeah. and, and, it, and it kind of warps your your memories into one direction. So going back to the voice work, uh, maybe maybe my 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 timeline is messed up here. So you were doing the hosting on the Zone before you started on Sailor Moon, or were they kind of at the same time? No, I I was doing the um, Sailor Moon episodes before the Zone started up. So okay. while I was on the radio is when I was recording um, the beginnings of Sailor Moon, and then. I did that for a few years, and so in that time, I made the switch from radio to television, um, which was exciting because sometimes we would air the episodes of Sailor Moon that I was voicing while I was hosting the show, that as well as Beyblade, and um, there was a few other projects that while I was hosting, I got to throw to an episode of a cartoon that my voice was featured in, and that was always a really exciting thing to happen. Did did you ever mention that on air? I, I did I. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I made a huge deal about it if I was in the show. <laughs> I, like I said, I didn't watch this particular era of The Zone all that much, so I'm uh, a, little, a little rusty on that. Um, yeah. so, so when Sailor Moon S uh, was being dubbed, it was a, there was a gap of about at least two or three years from the, fr- the previous seasons. Uh, and were, you, were you familiar with the franchise before that? All that I was. Much? Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't completely immersed in it, but I was com- I was definitely aware of it, and you know, had a ton of friends that were huge fans of the series and anime in general, and who had introduced me to it. And then as soon as I started voicing it, I just became a super fan myself. And did did you realize how much of an impact it would have uh, years later? Well, I, I guess it was already having a an impact. It had already been around for for several years at that point, but the amount of influence it would have on, on that whole generation. I didn't. I mean, there is no way for me to tell. And, and it's really to this day that I realize continually how important Sailor Moon and anime in general is to a huge generation. You and I met at a, at a anime convention mm-hmm. and that's one of many that I've done over the years. And I am proud and so excited to say that the fans have not, you know, weaned off at all the the um, outpouring of support and love for the anime community just continues to grow. It's really something that's fantastic to see. Yeah, it's 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 great to see you appearing at so many cons. And unfortunately, the amount of you know voice work and production being done for anime has really dropped off in Canada, which is strange because considering the position of our dollar right now, you'd think they'd be they'd be sending more work up here, and that that connection would still be strong. But uh, you're definitely from an era where you could uh, you, you you're kind of like the needle going straight through all those the, all those key points there. 
Yeah, uh, I feel like that. So how how did your time at the zone come to an end? Uh, was it just uh, did you decide to quit, or was was there any kind of uh, story behind how it all came to an end? No big story. I mean, it, it was a definitely a terribly hard decision for mm-hmm. me to make to leave the zone, but I felt like I was reaching a cap of what I could do in Canada, and my overall dream has always truly been to be um, in the movies, and that just wasn't going to happen for me in Canada while I was so busy doing the zone, and everyone knew me as sugar from the zone. And so trying to translate that to casting directors and everyone else that I could be, you know, different characters outside of the characters that I played in the zone, I knew it was going to be a challenge. And the truth is, you know, Los Angeles is the hub for, for where, you know, the, the best of the best are working and I wanted to have access to them. And so I made the brave and very hard decision to leave the zone and, and come out here and go for broke and, and chase my dreams again. But I knew in confidence that I was, you know, making a very big step for myself and that if anything, I hoped that it would show the audience that, you know, no matter how great things are going, if you have a big dream, keep chasing it, even if it means making hard decisions and it's been a long journey out here but it's definitely starting to pay off and I'm happier than ever and it was it was it was tough but a really great great decision for me personally what what has your experience in LA been like over the last seven or eight years um it was it's been hard it was a very hard start to it all you know I didn't really know very many people when I moved out here and I went from, you know, doing so many cartoons, having the show. Um, I was involved in a lot of um, charities in Canada, and I sort of, you know, continued my work with them, but I came to a place where no one had any idea who I was. And, you know, in Canada, people were chomping at the bit to work with me, whereas here I was begging for work, and um, it took a long time. I would imagine that in Canada, people just recognize you on the street, can when you when you come back here? Can you are you able to walk around or? <laughs> I've always been able to walk around. I love being recognized because again, <laughs> because it was um, a kids show and because it was, um, you know, I, I felt more like part of people's families when people saw me on the street. It was a wonderful. Um, it was a wonderful interaction every time. Fans in Canada, it's not like here where there's paparazzi stalking you. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that sort of seedy fandom in Canada from what my experience is. It's more of just like such kind, wonderful people wanting to walk around the mall with me. And I was like, sure, let's go shopping. You know, it wasn't... Um, it was never intrusive or, or negative, and and I certainly can walk around. I do get recognized in Canada, but not as much as I used to. And um, and when they do recognize me, it's like, hey, we were buddies when we were kids. And I'm like, yeah, we totally were. You know? <laughs> do people recognize you from the radio? They do. Yeah, yeah. The older generation recognizes me from the from the radio, and the younger generation recognizes me from television. It's so exciting to think when, you know, I have a big movie coming out this summer and I'm so excited to get back there and and be right back in people's minds again. It's a really exciting prospect and I just can't wait. You mentioned that you were involved in charity work in Canada? Yeah, 
Yeah, my biggest one um, was, it's called Dreams Take Flight. And every summer for six years, I think it was, we would fly two jumbo jets full of underprivileged and sick kids to Disney World for the day. And I eventually became a chair on the board there and was really involved. And I'm so proud of that organization. They just really, really made dreams come true. It was so amazing to, you know, wake up with these kids at at six in the morning and then load everybody on a plane and everyone was tired and a lot of them weren't feeling great. And by the end of the day, they were full of life and just ready to take everything on. It was such a rewarding, beautiful experience. And and do you still, do you still do any work in Canada or are you pretty much LA most of the time outside of conventions and, and things like that? Um, I've been pretty much LA. It's you know, it's taken all of my focus to get my career going over here. So I've I've been pretty much LA focused and, and focused in America, but I am completely open to doing Canadian projects and I just just the other audi- other day auditioned for a cartoon through Canada and I imagine that the film stuff, when I'm ready, I can turn around and, and start doing Canadian projects again. I cannot wait to work in Canada and, and to help Canada build its name in this industry. Um, but it took me sort of getting my feet grounded here in America before I could turn around and... and um, turn it into something in Canada, but that's definitely in the future. I can't wait to write and create Canadian projects. What, uh, what projects are you working on right now? I know you have some movies coming out. Uh, well, I mean, you, you recently worked on a few movies over the last couple of years, uh, and you have a couple more coming out this coming year, I believe. I do. Yeah. I, the big one that I'm, I'm really, really excited about, well, there's a few, but, um, just over this past summer, I spent the summer in Hawaii shooting a movie called Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. And it's a comedy. Um, it's being put out through Fox. And it's it's going to be just great. It's, it's my biggest part yet in a film. And I play Zac Efron and Adam Devine's sister. And I'm getting married in the movie. And those two, my brothers, just have a tendency to ruin all of our family functions. And things just become a huge mess at my wedding. It's sort of one of those everything goes wrong films like The Hangover or something like that. And so Mm -hmm. it's just packed full of funny moments. And it was incredible working with um, Zach and Adam and also Anna Kendrick stars in it, as well as Aubrey Plaza, and they're all just such talented, hilarious people. Um, I learned so much working with them, and um, yeah, it was just one of the most rewarding. I haven't seen the movie yet, um, but it is set to come out on July 8th, I believe, right now, and I can't wait. My fiancé is played by Sam Richardson, who's this incredible up-and-coming actor. He's on a show right now called Veep. He also just sold a show that he created to Comedy Central called Detroiters. And I was just like, I felt like I was learning from the best and also mixed right in. You know, I I didn't miss a beat. And they've all become really close friends of mine. And I'm so excited for that movie to come out. Yeah, you're, you're definitely getting chummy with some of the biggest names there. That's, uh, yeah, that's great to hear. And you also had a, a you're, you're working on a Seth Rogen movie as well. I think you mentioned before, or you, can you talk yes. about that on the show? <laughs> oh, yeah, I totally yeah. can. Um, I have my voice, actually. I got to do some voice work for Seth, which was great. He has his first ever animated feature coming out. It's called Sausage Party. 
I don't know what the release date is for that, but I believe it's coming up this summer of 2016. And I play Baby Carrots. And um, it was so fun. I had been involved with that project for about four years, just, you know, at first helping them um, by going and doing voices at the table reads while they were trying to get it sold. And then gradually just doing more and more kind of on the back end, um, lending my voice and just being there from the get-go and watching the whole process of them trying to get this rated R animated comedy made. And, you know, at the end of it, I, I landed that great role of the baby carrots. It's, you know, it's not the lead role, but it's going to be very memorable, I think. And um, I can only imagine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's going to be a really cool one. And I just was on set with them the other day. I have um, a small part in a movie directed by James Franco, also starring James Franco, um, Seth is also in it and it's called The Disaster Artist. I was just going to ask, because or, or you seem to be kind of in the whole crowd with Seth Rogen and, uh, and and those guys and I've, I, that's a movie I'm really looking forward to oh, uh, is The Disaster Artist. Have you, have you seen The Room? Oh, I have seen The Room. <laughs> oh my god. What a wonderful disaster. It, oh, it is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, are you able to say anything about your, your role in that movie? Yeah, I mean, it'll probably end up, again, being a small part, but the experience was incredible. I play, I'm basically just an actress that's auditioning to be in the room, and James, who plays Tommy Wiseau, he is conducting this audition with me, so I got to be in the room with James and his little little brother, Davey Franco, who's also starring in the movie, and yeah, James just, it was like a real audition, James, as Tommy, was directing me and giving me a bunch of improv to do as if it were a real audition, and it turned out hilarious, and I, I mean, who knows what they'll use for the actual movie, but there's a ton of great stuff in there. That That's actually one of my favorite parts of the book, so I... I, okay. I, I... Hopefully you show up in that part. I'm looking, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to that movie. I hope it doesn't disappoint. I doubt it will. I doubt it will. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And and that was such a fun day because not only myself, but there were a bunch of other um, female comedians that got in there and, and were doing the audition and they just knocked it out of the park. And yeah, it's just so much funny stuff. Yeah. I, I know you mentioned before, like in, in, uh, in Garfunkel Oats, you play a prostitute. and you Not a prostitute. Not a prostitute? What was it? Sorry. A, uh, a porn star. A porn star. Yes. Right. <laughs> All right. So you, you, you do play some more uh, adult roles in, in other things. Do you ever find it to be difficult to jump between sort of, sort of uh, youth-oriented stuff and more adult-skewing stuff like that? No. No? No. <laughs> No, I'm an adult, so I get all of that comedy, and but I'm also such a kid at heart, so it's it's really not a challenge. I, I think that's really what made you work so well as a as a kid's uh, as a kid's host, because I think when kids see you on TV, they 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 know there's more to you than they just see on the air. But at the same time, you're you're just totally into what you're doing for like the youth audience as well. You don't look down on it. You you totally embrace it. Uh, and I, I think kids appreciate that kind of that kind of well-roundedness and depth. Yeah, I think so too. I think that you never want to speak down to anyone, mm. you know, even even kids. Of course not. You know, they get it. And what are kids about? They're about joy, happiness, and fun. And even when it comes to approaching the challenges of life, when you're a kid, you know, I I think that no one should be talked talk down to. And the one thing that I have am not lacking on is empathy and understanding and 
I think that that always translated and yeah. As we, we, most of us know Sandy Fox was cast as Chibiusa or Rini in the new LA Sailor Moon dub. Uh, did you have an, uh, did you have an opportunity to audition for that role? I actually didn't. Um, oh. We, yeah, we tried. We contacted the studio and uh, through my agents and, you know, I wrote a letter saying my intention and how much I wanted to do it. I don't know if they ever actually read it or mm. if they were just set on having, you know, a fresh new cast, which often happens. And um, But it certainly was disappointing. It would have been a dream come true to reprise that role and... and um, it's a little bit sad, but I knew I know that Sandy Fox will do a wonderful, wonderful job. Yeah, I, I can say the people who work with me on the show and myself, we were we were all rooting for you for sure on that one. But thank you. Yeah, I can uh, I can understand why they go for a, a whole new cast. That's usually how it goes with those things a lot of the time. H- have you thought about auditioning for for other anime voice acting at any point in the future, whether in L.A. or or up here or anything like that? I would love to. I'm not, I, I don't say no to anything mm-hmm. voice work wise. I would be willing to do it all. Um, you know, as much as it seems like maybe we do, we don't really drive what auditions we get as actors. Mm. So my agents are very aware of my capabilities and my interests. And, you know, I, I audition a ton, but just like anything else, it's, it's kind of like breaking into a new industry again. And, getting to know the voice casting directors out here. It just, it all takes time. But I guarantee you, as soon as I can, I will be in every single cartoon that you see. <laughs> one, one more question. And, uh, you know, this, this is might seem a little out of the blue, but I, I'm interested in hearing your perspective on it. As a former television personality, uh, do you have any thoughts on the future of television? Uh, do you think it has a future with you know, everything, everyone kind of moving to streaming? Do you think television offers stuff that you can't get with streaming? You know, just drawing from your own experience and knowing what, what TV can do for people. Did, did you have any, any kind of uh, insight or thought on that? Um, to, I believe that TV and streaming will all become one thing. I think that all of the networks will eventually switch over and, and offer their services in a streaming manner. And, it's taking a little bit longer than I thought it would, but I, I think that it's all going to end up on streaming. I, like I personally, I don't have cable. I only have, um, I only have Apple TV. And so I use streaming as my main source of, of entertainment. And I think that everything will go there, but I don't think it's as scary as people think. Um, you can flip through streaming channels right now just as well as you can flip through television. I think that people like to have control of when and how they watch their programming and streaming offers that. So I think it's a good thing. Looking at television now, do you think it is better or worse when, than when you were a part of it uh, a decade or so ago? I think it's totally different. Mm-hmm. I think that what's being offered is very different. But then I look at things like HBO and Showtime and the quality of programming has really jumped light years ahead. You sit and watch a series and it's just as well produced as a feature film. And that's incredible to sit down and watch some of these huge productions and what they're coming up with is it's amazing. Um And then as far as like, you know, programming like The Zone or 
or any hosting, I think that that will always have a life because I think people like to have a host, a personality who is there guiding them through their their experience on television. You know, that's always what I thought the zone was all about, was having kind of like a friendly face at the end of a cartoon who could, you know, speak on what you had just seen. It was like having a friend to watch television with. So I, I think that just the nature of humanity, I don't think that that's ever going to go anywhere. I, I think there's definitely something more communal about television. You see that now with people live tweeting stuff when they're yeah. when they're watching TV. And I, I think, you know, the, the work you did in the zone there are really things that really capture that better than 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 anything on television is that sort of communal friendly nature of mm-hmm. of broadcasting that you get that you know maybe we'll see that go away with streaming maybe we'll see something replace it maybe we already are with like youtube celebrities and and things like that but yeah i think it's a very interesting time i i it's exciting to me it's really exciting anything else you wanted to share or uh, or shout out or bring attention to before we wrap up no, I just want to say that I love you, Canada, so much. I miss Canada constantly, and I'm so proud of what Canada's up to these days. And I will say on the record that Canada's the best. <laughs> I think I can get behind you on that one. Yeah. Maybe maybe, maybe not uh, economy-wise right now, but uh, <laughs> I think we make up for it in, in other areas for sure. Yeah, and also I would love for people to know, I think that my main interaction on social media right now is through Instagram. So, you know, if anybody's ever looking for me, you can find me there. I love comments and I love interacting. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Shuglin, S-U-G-L-Y-N. And I look forward to hearing from you and talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Jesse, really an absolute it. pleasure. I'm so happy that you asked, and um, I can't wait to speak to you again, maybe the same time next year after a million new things have happened. Yeah, absolutely. If, 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 I hope you come back to Vancouver at some point. I will. I'll be there yeah. in August. Oh, you will? Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we got a confirmation on that then. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Zonan Canada. Huge thanks to Sugar for joining me. If you want to contact me, you can reach me on Twitter at Zonan Canada or through email at zonancanada at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page for the show now. You can find it at facebook.com slash zonancanada. The theme song is taken from Ultra Clystron's recent LP, Packet Flood, which you can purchase at his website at ultraclystron.com. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, and if you can, leave a rating or review. As always, please recommend this show to anybody who you think might enjoy it. Until next time, see you again!